Well, Merry Christmas. Thank you. So nice of you to say that. You know, we were singing a song earlier, kind of a, a, a traditional, cool, old Christmas carol, Joy to the World. And uh, an interesting thing uh, to me kind of about that song, I mean, it's just a little background. It was written by a guy named Isaac Watts, kind of one of my favorite hymn writers, and it's based on Psalm 98. But listen, listen to a couple of the phrases from this again. Joy to the world, the Lord is come. The Lord is come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room. Heaven and nature sing. And then a little further, joy to the world, the Savior reigns. He, he rules the world with truth and grace. If you think about just the lyric of that song just a little bit, one of the things to me that stands out is what he's singing about, what, what the hymn is all about is that like the Lord, the King, the Savior, you know, maybe another word would be the boss, has come back. And that the response, you know, the, the emotion that comes as a result of that is joy. And I don't know about you, but I, I read that and I think, really? Like, how many of you guys feel joy when the boss comes back? I mean, is, is, is that the thing that we normally feel like, oh, great, the boss is here, I'm so excited. You know, it's, it's not normally the way that we respond. Jesus himself says something that's like kind of a summation of the whole purpose of Christmas in Luke chapter 10, uh, I'm sorry, Luke 19, verse 10. He says this, and, and this is Jesus speaking. He says, for the Son of Man, and he's talking about himself, came to seek and save those who are lost. Seek and save those who are lost. This verse sums up what Christmas is all about. It sums up like the whole thing right here. Even though there's lots of other things going on, there's family traditions and you know, really cool meals, and then there's exchanging gifts, and there's really good meals. And I like the meal part, can you tell? Summer sausage. Summer sausage is good. I don't know what Brenda was making fun of it. It's, summer sausage is a good food. It's like all the food groups right there in one package kind of thing. It's really good for you. But from a biblical perspective, Christmas isn't about all that. It's not even about family. It's about the Lord the king coming to his creation. It's about the boss. And it's about him seeking and saving those that are lost. So here's an interesting thing. As soon as you make that jump, this whole idea of Christmas, this whole idea of Jesus gets a little offensive. I mean, because how many of us volunteer to be lost? Like, well, I'd like to be lost. I love, I love being lost. Like, we don't even admit when we are lost, right, guys? Like, he's not going to, like, you know, my GPS, it'll get me out of this eventually. I've just got to reprogram it again. Hold on while I drive and reprogram. And I mean, you, you, this is a really unpopular claim today that Jesus Christ is absolutely unique, that he's the only way to God. That's, a, that's something that he said, and it's a really unpopular thing to say. And, and you can almost hear the argument. You can, you can hear the kind of the retort coming back, which is along the lines of this, you, you know, Michael... The biggest problem in the world today is people who think they know the truth above everybody else. Like, isn't like the biggest problem in the world today is that everyone thinks their own view of God is superior to other people's views of God? That's the main reason that we have war. If we would just stop saying that our particular version of religion, you know, was superior to everyone else, that no one else had the truth, then wouldn't the world be a much more peaceful place to live in? 
And especially in our day of increased globalization, the only way we can possibly get along is if we finally acknowledge that all the religions are equal, that they all contain, you know, equally, they all valid attempts at having a relationship with God. And so, like, how, how do you respond to that from a biblical point of view? Like, from a biblical point of view, how, how do you respond to that? Well, think about this. The only way that all the religions could be equally valid is if either God was an impersonal force and he didn't care what you thought about him, or there was no God, and then they would all be equally invalid, right? I mean, that's the only way. Because, like, what kind of a being would not care what you think about them? If you think they're good or evil, if you think they're a truth teller or a liar, if, 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 you, if you think you, you know, they're cruel or if they're kind, like what kind of a person doesn't care except maybe a really extreme introvert? If, if you're introverted here, God bless you. It's cool. I'm an introvert. And even though I might say sometimes, I don't care what people think about me, you know, reality is that everybody cares what people think about them. I mean, that's the way that we're made. So this uniqueness of Jesus really is the whole reason that we celebrate Christmas today in our world. And while it may be an unpopular claim that he's absolutely unique, it's exactly what we're here claiming. It's exactly what our songs say. So here's our claim. Jesus Christ is completely unique. And, And we find this throughout the pages of Scripture with those who originally hung out with Jesus. So one of his first followers was a fisherman named John, And uh, John wrote the fourth book of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. He wrote the fourth one, and it's a gospel. It's like an eyewitness account of the life of Jesus. He spent three years with him. And and listen to what he says in in John 1.14. He says, The word became flesh, and, and the word meaning Jesus, became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. And in that little phrase, one and only, literally means only one of its kind, the utterly unique one. That's what it means. There's nothing else like him. John Stott, the great Bible preacher, I thought said it this way. He said, you cannot call Jesus the great compared to Alexander the Great, Charles the Great, or Peter the Great. Jesus is not the great. He is the only. He has no peers, no rivals, no successors. So what we celebrate at Christmas is not the birth of a great person. What we are celebrating at Christmas is the birth of a uniquely superior person, one who's not like anyone else. And so what makes him superior? What makes him so unique? Well, uh, look at what it says right there in verse 14. It says that Jesus is uniquely God incarnate. It says the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Jesus is God incarnate. And we get our word incarnate from a Latin word that just simply means, it's pronounced incarnate, and it just simply means in flesh. John is writing about the infleshing of God. That, and, and that's a shocking phrase for a Jewish guy to write. Right? It's a shocking phrase for a Jewish guy to write. He's not just talking about God filling a human body and becoming man. He's talking about God taking on humanity. Like all of our weaknesses, all of our limitations, all of our frailties, all of our dependencies, all of our hunger and all of our thirst, that God took that on. And there is nothing like the incarnation in any other religion in the world. So for instance, in Judaism, people would reject the whole idea that God would ever take on human flesh. That would just be rejected out of hand. Muslims reject the claim as well. Allah is so high and holy that he could never stoop down to human level. 
Buddhists claim that, you know, God would never, they, they would never claim that God took on flesh. I mean, it took him five to six hundred years after Buddha lived to claim that he was divine. And yet, in Jesus' day, while he was still alive, his followers were claiming that he was Lord, that he was God. And even in Hinduism, Hinduism, they would say, is not a historical religion at all. It's a philosophical, a, 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 a mystical, an ethical religion. And, and it's, it's not really important whether any of the things that the Hindus believe happened really happened. Christianity is completely different, completely unique. There is a historical event that we celebrate at Christmas, the incarnation of God in Jesus Christ. It took place in real history uh, in Palestine when Augustus was emperor of Rome and Herod the Great was the king of Judea and Galilee. So, like, why does it matter? Like, what difference does all that make that God, uh, Jesus is God incarnate? Well, here's the deal. If Jesus is God incarnate, then the cross becomes a demonstration of God's love for us. And that's what the Apostle Paul says in uh, Romans 5.8. He says that God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You see, on the cross, it wasn't just another human being who lost their life. On the cross, it's not just another human being whose arms are stretched open wide and nailed to the thing. On the cross, it's not just another man who was unjustly executed. Because the nails went through the very hands of God, we have the ultimate demonstration of love. Think about this. What does it mean to be loved? What does it mean? Because you can say to one another, right, I love you. And if you've ever met a really good, if you've ever met a really good sweet talker, they can say it, but there's nothing behind the words, and you think they don't really love me. I mean, and, and it's not just my gender that does that. It's, you know, both of them. We equally do that. Real love, though, gets acted out, right? Real love is, 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 is when you find the summer sausage under the tree. <laughs> Right? Real love is when there's something behind the words, when there's more to it than just the words. It's not just in what we say, it's in what we do. And the supreme expression of love is sacrifice. The supreme expression of love is sacrifice. When you go to spend time with somebody who is grieving, even though you don't know what to say, and you just spend time with them, you sacrifice time, that's an expression of love. When you sacrifice money to give a gift or to help somebody out who needs financial help, when you sacrifice money, that's an expression of love. Parents, when you spend time up all night with a sick child, that's an expression of love. Love isn't just what you say, it's what you do. And supremely love is expressed when someone sacrifices themselves, when they give everything, even their own life, to protect you. And so on the cross, what we see is the self-sacrificial love of God for every single one of us. That's why the cross became like the emblem, the logo of Christianity. You know, that's why it moved from like a fish eventually to the cross because we see this self-sacrificial love of God for every single one of us. That's why it matters that Jesus is uniquely God incarnate. And then verse 14, we see that he's not just God incarnate, he's uniquely full of grace and truth, right there at the very end, full of grace and truth. And then out of his fullness, verse 16, we have all received grace in place of grace already given. That he is uniquely full of grace, he is an inexhaustible source of grace. I like the phrase in the original language, from his fullness we have all received grace 
grace upon grace. From his fullness, right, never-ending source, we have all received grace upon grace. And the word picture here is like the waves of an ocean. Like, have you ever sat at the ocean and kind of waited for the waves to quit? Like, they don't quit. I mean, they may slow down a little bit. You may have a calm day, but the waves never stop. That's the word picture in John. That it's his grace comes again and again. There's grace, brand new. Mercy and blessing every single day. Every single day it's there. You can, go to a, you can go to God for a new supply of blessing and mercy, unmerited favor every single day. At every stage of life, there is this unending supply of grace. So if you're here today and you're single, for instance, there, God has grace for you to be single and to do it well. If you're here and, and you're dating, God has grace for you to date well, to do it well. If you're here and you're married, thank goodness God has grace for you to be married and to do it well. I'm married. I know. I need God's grace. And it's not because anything about Brenda, just so that you know, don't tease her. It's, it's all me, I'm sure. Right? There's grace for you to grow old. There is grace when you lose a loved one. There is grace from God to die well, to do it well. There's grace for every sin, for every weakness. There's grace to remove the guilt of sin. There's grace to remove the grip of sin. And one day when Christ returns, there will be grace to remove the power and the penalty of sin altogether. And Jesus is not only full of grace, but he's full of truth. He is unique in his ability to walk the tightrope of infinite forgiveness and uncompromising holiness. And that's a tightrope that none of the rest of us can walk. We all err on one side or the other. We all fall off the tightrope on one side or the other. We're either excessively tolerant or lenient, or we're overly critical and judgmental, every single one of us. And so we even split up our political parties that way. Gosh, I brought up politics on Christmas Eve. You know, my dad taught me a long time ago, and I didn't listen. There's a few things you don't talk about when you get together with family. I just blew it. I usually do. But even like our Christian world is divided among the conservatives, folks who like to major in truth but are deficient in grace, and what we call liberals who like to major in grace and deficient in truth. It's like we fall off on both sides of this thing. And the only way that we get healthy is we spend time with Jesus. We can begin to embody grace and truth in a healthy way. So he's uniquely full of grace and truth, and he is uniquely intimate with God. Verse 18. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son, who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. Literally, this means, no, reads, no one has ever seen God, but God, the one and only, who is at the bosom of the Father, has made him known. Jesus is saying that, I mean, uh, John is saying here that Jesus has the very closest possible relationship with God that two persons can enjoy. It's like mother and child. It's like husband and wife. That he has that kind of relationship with God. That he's in such close relationship with God, like leaning on his chest, that the Father shares all of his secrets with Jesus. It's such a unique intimacy that the disciples recognized it immediately when they heard Jesus pray. When they saw him actually praying to God, they recognized there's an intimacy there that we don't have, that we never heard anybody else have. And that's the same exact intimacy that he invites you and I into. The same intimacy, so that we can share any part of our lives. You know, as humans, 
we tend to never be honest about everything with everybody, don't we? I mean, we have like things that I'll share with that group and things I'll share with that group and things I share with this group, but like I don't like, share the whole thing with anybody. And what this is telling us is that we can share all of our secrets with him. We can tell him things that no one else knows, that we can let him into the deepest parts of our being. We can let him into our fears. We can share our fears with him, our guilt, our hurts. We can share our ambitions with him, our hopes, that we can let Jesus into everything, and then we can ask us to give us his hopes and his vision for our lives, his vision for our family, his ambitions and his dreams. So Jesus is uniquely intimate with God and invites us into that. And then Jesus uniquely makes the invisible God visible. Again, verse 18, no one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son, who is himself God, is in closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. I love the way that Jesus shows us what God is like. That we don't, he doesn't leave us bumbling around in the dark wondering what God's like. That because of Christ, we no longer have to wonder what God's like. We don't have to wonder what he thinks. We don't have to wonder like what he would do if he caught us doing whatever it is. We don't have to wonder. Because we see how he responds to people. We see, we see God in the person of Jesus. Because of Christmas, like we know who God is. We know what he thinks. And we know that he would like hold nothing back in his love for us. Nothing whatsoever. And so what I want to invite you to do this Christmas Eve is to actually open the best gift. Is to actually receive the very best Christmas present you could possibly receive. And that's relationship with God through Jesus. And for some of us, I'm inviting you to surrender your life to Jesus for the very first time. To say, I want to experience that kind of relationship with God. I'll just walk you through a really simple, what I just call a prayer of surrender. It's the beginning of a relationship with God. Where you let the king be the king. The boss be the boss. You let the savior actually be the savior. And for others of us, it's like we started down this path years ago. And I'm not talking about what kind of church we're from. I'm not talking about Vineyard or Episcopalian or Catholic or Methodist or Lutheran or Baptist or like I just ran, I just, there's too many. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about just real relationship with God through Jesus because of his birth, because of his death, that we can know creator God. Jesus himself said, I'm the way the truth and the life that no one comes to the father but by me so according to him not according to me like he's the only way and so some of us started down that path years ago and then we got off track and we just kind of went our own way i just want to invite you to get back on track it's like the very best gift you could give yourself better i know than summer sausage (laughs) i'm glad they brought that up and used that because it gave me something to talk about besides motorcycles you know so there you go it's a good good deal so what i'm going to do is i'm just going to pray a simple prayer of surrender and i just invite you to quietly silently just pray along with me and if you've never thrown your lot in with jesus if you've never surrendered to him if you've never given him really the the reins the steering wheel the control of your life i just i just invite you to do that It's one of those decisions I've never regretted. So Heavenly Father, thank you for your son Jesus Christ.
thank you for his birth, for his absolutely sinless, perfect life that I should have lived, but I can't. And thank you for his sacrificial death on the cross for me. And I want Jesus to be my king. I want Jesus to be my Lord. I want Jesus to be my Savior. And so I surrender now. Will you take my life, whatever I've done with it or haven't done, would you take it right now? And would you fill me with your Holy Spirit? Would you change me from the inside out? Would you begin to, kind of begin to make me into the kind of person, the kind of man or woman that you created me to be? I surrender to you. So becoming a follower of Jesus is really that simple. It's not the end of the game. The game goes on the rest of our lives following him. But it's really that simple to become a follower of Jesus. And so as we just kind of stay focused, we stay focused on our own relationship with God, if you prayed that prayer with me, I'm going to ask you to stand up. Just to stand up and identify yourself. I surrendered my life to Jesus. And you think, Michael, it's like 2011, almost 2012, hello. Like, why do we do this? Because faith is not meant to be something that only happens like inside our head. It's meant to be expressed in every area of life. And that's when it begins to take root and grow. And so I'm just going to ask you to demonstrate the faith you put in Jesus. If you prayed that with me for the first time, would you stand up right now? Just right where you're at. Just stand up. God bless you guys. Just stand up. Say, I'm throwing my lot in with Jesus, lock, stock, and barrel. He's my Lord. He's my master. He's my Savior. For some of us that are here, we have, just stay standing, and I'm going to ask a couple more groups to stand up. For some of us that are here, we're married or we're dating, and we've never really put Jesus at the center of that relationship. We wonder why it's so difficult. I'm going to ask you just to grab your spouse's hand, your significant other's hand, and, and just like ask them to stand up with you and to put Jesus at the center of your marriage, at the center of your relationship. In order for it to be healthy and to stay healthy and to really grow well, you've got to invite him into the middle of this thing. And so if that's you, like one of the best Christmas gifts you could give your family <laughs> is putting him right at the middle. So I just invite you, would you just grab your, your significant other's hand and just stand up together? And then the last group is those of you, some of us started out following Jesus and we started out feeling really good about this and then we've really kind of just gone our own way. It's kind of like we've said, hey, you know what, God? Thanks, I think I can take it from here. And taking it from here didn't work so good. And, and he's inviting us to come back. And so if that's you, would you stand up right now? You just want to say, hey, you know what? I want to recommit. I want to surrender, resurrender. For me personally, that's one of those things I've got to do pretty much every day. But I'm not talking about that as much as I'm talking about, you know, I've kind of gone my own way. And now I want to come back. Would you just stand up if that's you? Just go ahead, stand up. I just want to pray for us. God bless you guys. Heavenly Father, thank you for your presence in our lives, your grace, your truth, your power. Thank you for your mercy. 
Thank you that we don't deserve any of what you give us. And yet, you love us unconditionally, unreservedly, and without end. And we just want to receive that today. So Holy Spirit, would you come? Would you fill us? Can I have everyone else stand up, please? If you, if you stood up with me and surrendered your life to Jesus for the first time, at each of the doors, there's a little black table with a basket, and it's got a red envelope in there, and we would love to give you one of those little red envelopes as a gift. It's got a New Testament Bible and a couple little brochures that just talk about how to grow in your relationship with God. And so in a few minutes, when I close on your way out the door, please feel free to grab one of those envelopes. We'd love to, uh, for you to have that as a gift, just to help you get started and go the right direction in your relationship with God. And then I'm going to invite our worship team back up here. They're going to lead us in a, uh, just a, I think two or three more songs, and then I'll get up in just a moment and kind of close us uh, for good. So you can feel free to hang out in here and... Let's worship Jesus.